Laudator Jesus Christus, praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, who is the Editor-in-Chief of CFN. Hello, Brian. I hope you're doing well today. Yes, Matt. I hope you are, are too. Yes, uh, today is uh, Friday, September 11th, 2020, so it's a bit of a somber day and anniversary we're going to talk about momentarily. But first on the, uh, the liturgical calendar, the traditional Roman calendar, it is the feast of two early Roman martyrs, Saints Protus and Hyacinth, not to be confused with the, the medieval Hyacinth uh, Dominican. These are both early Roman martyrs who died during the persecution of the pagan emperor Valerian. So we're talking about, I, I believe he reigned uh, in the mid 200s, a very short reign. So as I mentioned in my uh, introduction, today is also the, the anniversary, the 19th anniversary, hard to believe it's been that long, uh, since the infamous 9-11 terrorist attacks, which of course I'm sure all viewers remember and know, uh, targeted the World Trade Center in New York City, as well as the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia. And for those who may not know, just a tidbit, the Pentagon is actually the headquarters of the U.S. Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. And I believe there was also another plane that was heading to Washington, D.C. That was United Flight 93 that ended up crashing in a field. I forget where exactly. I think somewhere in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And of course, as most viewers probably know, Osama bin Laden and his jihadist organization, Al-Qaeda, claimed responsibility for the attacks shortly after they happened. So I thought it would be interesting just for both of us to share briefly what we remember, where we were, where we were, and what we were doing when we first heard about the attack. I'll give Brian the first crack. So I was in London. I was working in London at that time in a law firm, and I was actually on the phone with somebody in our Philadelphia office when it happened. And she just sort of said, you know, I forget exactly what she said, but oh, we've been attacked. The United States has been attacked. I have to go. Um, and then. It was interesting because I called my wife and said something's going on. She called her parents who live outside of New York City. And at that point, you were able to make a call really easily. She got through to them and, you know, they said, we don't have no idea what's going on. We just heard. But then a few minutes later, when she tried to call them back is when all you couldn't get through to anybody in New York. Right. So she did have a sort of brief conversation, at least knew that they were, they, you know, seemed to be okay. Uh, but then we kind of lost contact for, for a while. Right. Yeah, it was certainly an unforgettable day. I was... I'll reveal my, my young age. I was actually a junior in high school and getting ready for school in the morning and remember just walking into the living room and seeing it on television, the one of the Twin Towers smoking, you know, those images that are seared in all of our memories from it being on television constantly after it happened. And I don't remember, I'm sure we probably, I went to school that day and it was probably on some of the televisions at the school, but I mean, I think for my generation and, and for yours as well, I think it's probably the closest thing to like a Pearl Harbor experience that any of us have ever gone through. I think that's a, what a lot of people compare it to anyway. Well, and like Pearl Harbor, it ended up getting this country into well, the longest war it's ever been in in its history. Right. It's, right. We, we're still, after 19 yes. years, we are still in Afghanistan. Yes. Amazing. But it is interesting. Um, that this is the day uh, that, that this uh, uh, occurred um, because there's an interesting connection with tomorrow's feast. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, these things, it's funny, people, secular will sort of dismiss this, but when a lot of these jihadist terrorists, again, they're sort of, and they want to dismiss that term, and particularly when the, the president talks about radical jihadist terrorists, they want to defend Islam as sort of, oh, no, this is not Islam, but this is religious-based for these terrorists. Right. And they choose dates for important reasons. They have a very long memory. <laughs> they have a very long memory because September 11th did relate to uh, the defeat of the Muslims at a certain time in Europe that gave rise to the feast that actually is occurring tomorrow. So I think Matt wants to tell us about that, that feast. Yes, so tomorrow's feast, uh, we have two Marian feasts this week. Uh, earlier this week, September 8th, we celebrated the Nativity of Our Lady, her birth. And then tomorrow on September 12th, we celebrate a, the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Mary. 
I meant to say, meant to find something, I think in the St. Louis de Montfort talks about the origin of the name Maria in either the yes. secret of the rosary or true devotion. And I think it has the connotation of like being lady, a regal, a regal uh, association. Yes. So the connection, the striking historical connection to Islamic Jihad has to do with the siege of 1683, and this was by, of course, the Ottoman Turks, the perennial enemy of, of Christendom. So I want to read just a brief excerpt from the, uh, Cath the old Catholic encyclopedia's entry on John Sobieski, the hero of the, of the Battle of Vienna, which took place on September 12th. I mean, it was kind of the culmination of a months-long siege of the city, and he, as the king of Poland, arrived with fresh troops, and, and they were able to win the day through prayer, specifically invoking Our Lady. So this is what the Catholic Encyclopedia says. On September 11th, 1683, Sobieski was on the heights of Kallenberg, near the city, meaning near Vienna. And the next day, he gave battle in the plain below, with an army of not more than 76,000 men. I believe the Muslim, opposing Muslim force was in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, the, the encyclopedia goes on, the, the Germans uh, who were there as well, part of the Holy League, forming the left wing or the left flank and the Poles forming the right. The, the Hussars or Hussars charged with their usual impetuosity. I'm not familiar with that group, but they must have been very uh, go-getters, I guess you could say. Yeah, they were, they were uh, a sort of elite group of German soldiers who were uh, there we go. Okay. Uh, very highly trained and were often used as mercenaries. They often hired themselves out because they were, uh, okay. uh, and some of them came and fought in the, civil, in the, not civil, the American Revolutionary War later of the same. Ah, the same uh, okay, okay. Uh, so it says, the Hussars charged with their usual impetuosity, but the dense masses of the foe were impenetrable. Their retreat was taken for flight by the Turks, who rushed forward in pursuit. The Hussars turned upon them with reinforcements and charged again when their shouts made known that the, the quote, northern lion was on the field, and the Turks fled, panic-stricken, with Sobieski's horsemen still in pursuit. Still the battle raged for a long time uh, along all the line, both sides fought bravely, and the king, meaning Sobieski, was everywhere commanding, fighting, encouraging his men, and urging them forward. He was the first to storm the camp. The Turks were routed, Vienna and Christendom saved, and the news sent to the Pope. And I love what uh, King Sobieski said in his famous letter to Pope Innocent XI, uh, kind of a play on words, a famous quote from Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar, I came, I saw, I conquered. Well, Sobieski wrote, veni vidi deus vicit, meaning I came, I saw, God conquered. Yes, brilliant, brilliant. A and again, I remember at the time of September 11th, talking to some priests about this, and this, this was chosen because it was the last day that the Turks uh, held out before their defeat on September 12th. And, and again, most Americans may be oblivious to that. Uh, the Muslims have a very long memory of these things and are in a long game. Yes, yes they are. Christianity. And so they, these, these things are significant. Uh, before we jump into our first uh, news story, I wanted to also mention, interestingly, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, uh, our modern day uh, ecclesiastical hero, in his recent reply to CFN, actually brought up, he made reference to the Battle of Vienna. He said, quote, we are called to be soldiers of Christ under whose insignia we must fight. Of course, in most cases, it is essentially a spiritual battle, but over the course of history, we have seen how often, faced with the violation of the sovereign rights of God and the liberty of the church, it was also necessary to take up arms. We are taught this by the strenuous resistance to repel the Islamic invasions in Lepanto and on the outskirts of Vienna. So thankfully, Archbishop Vigano also has a long memory and is understanding this in the larger context of history. And again, that distinction he makes is very important because a lot of people try to argue, oh, Christianity is the same as Islam, the Crusades, wars. 
The main distinction is Christianity has only taken up arms in defense. Correct. The Crusades were a defense of the Holy Land. The Holy Land right. taken away, attacked, and pilgrims were being killed, and it was the, the Crusades came to their defense. Same thing with Vienna, where Islam sees war as an offense, a way to converse, convert with the sword. And it has, we'll get into this in a minute, contrary to modern whitewashing, has been there as a tenet of Islam from Muhammad himself, who preached version at the point of a sword. And again, so Catholicism has never... Uh, again, there may be individual uh, people who... doesn't mean all the crusaders yes. were saints. There right. were yes. abuses. Yes. But, there were abuses. But and individuals in, in their own way may have, you know, used the sword wrongly. But the church has always been clear that war or taking arms is to be to defend the Christians, not to yes. convert people, unlike Islam. Exactly. So that's a great segue into our first story today, which I've decided to call religious indifferentism. We could also call it syncretism and its consequences. So to begin, I wanna briefly return to today's 9-11 anniversary and recall for our viewers the following words spoken by President George W. Bush on September 17th, 2001 at the Islamic Center of Washington, D.C. So just six days after the 9-11 attacks, and by this point, I, I believe bin Laden and, and Al-Qaeda had already claimed responsibility, so we knew that it was an act of jihad. This is what he says, quote, these acts of violence against innocents violate the fundamental tenets of the Islamic faith. This is President Bush's claim, six days after the attack. And it's important for my fellow Americans to understand that the face of terror is not the true faith of Islam. I'll repeat that. The face, face of terror is not the true faith, F-A-I-T-H, of Islam. That's not what Islam is all about. Islam is peace. He actually said those words. These terrorists don't represent peace. They represent evil and war. When we think of Islam, we think of a faith that brings comfort to a billion people around the world. Billions of people find comfort and solace and peace, end quote. I mean, it's, it is the equivalent of, and this didn't happen, so I'm not trying to do it, it'd be the equivalent is if Franklin Delano Roosevelt, after um, Pearl Harbor, said, you know, we have to declare war, but, uh, you know, the uh, national socialism is a political movement of peace, and it is not any part of national socialism or the militaristic imperialist government of Japan, right, uh, to promote war. They're a peaceful movement, right? I mean, that's the absurdity of what he's, what he's saying. It's either, I mean, there are only two options in my mind as, as regarding the state of mind he could have been in, either profound ignorance or deliberate deception. I mean, those, those are the only two possibilities, yes. I think. Yes. So I've written a bit about this. I, I got my interest in Islam actually began on September 11, 2001, because I really didn't know anything about the religion prior to that. And I've since given a few talks on the subject. My first talk actually uh, for, at a Catholic Family News Conference was in the summer of 2016. Our dear friend and predecessor, John Benari, God rest his soul, invited me to speak on that. And I also spoke at a Fatima Center conference and this booklet is published by the Fatima Center called Fatima, Islam and Our Lady's Coming Triumph. Uh, I'm gonna include a link to the PDF version in the description to this video. So keep in mind what President Bush claimed, that Islam is peace. I'm just going to read you one, one or two quotes from the Quran itself, and you can judge for yourself if you think he's correct or not. So this is what the Quran, the, the so-called holy book of Islam, says regarding jihad. Remember your Lord inspired the angels with the message, I am with you, give firmness to the believers, meaning Muslims. I will instill terror into the hearts of the unbelievers, meaning non-Muslims, smite them above their necks, that means decapitate them, and smite all their fingertips off. It is not you who slew them, it was Allah. Sounds fairly peaceful, huh? <laughs> Here's one more. Uh, let's see here. F uh, fighting is prescribed for you, 
meaning all able-bodied Muslims, and you dislike it, but is, it is possible that you dislike a thing which is good for you and that you love a thing which is bad for you, but Allah knows and you know not. <laughs> and the last one, uh, but when the forbidden monks are passed, then fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem of war. Does that sound like a war of defense to you? <laughs> <laughs> now, and again, an important distinction. There are certainly people who profess to be Muslim who claim and say, look, we don't believe in this, we don't believe in war. But that is the equivalent of a Catholic saying, well, I'm a Catholic, but, you know, I don't believe that contraception is wrong. We'll be getting into that later in the show. Yeah, there are 95% of Catholics, we're told by Pew Research, that, that say such things. And the distinction, again, we're not saying, neither Matt or I or other people are saying, every no. person who says they're a Muslim is a vicious killer who wants to do this or supports no. it. But to the extent they are like that, they don't do that, they reject that, they are not holding true to the tenets of, of Islam, as, as you've right. heard. So that's our point. We're not talking about any individual people. We're talking about the, the tenets of this religion. Now, fortunately for us, I think a lot of people who are Muslim just don't follow what they're supposed to do. They're bad Muslims in, in that sense, and bad at a quotation mark. Right. But that's a very important distinction because the more dangerous thing is the principle, e even if people are fortunately disobeying it, that the principle is there, that this is part of that religion. Correct. And one of the sources that I cite in my booklet is by an expert on Islam named uh, Robert Spencer, who's written a book about the life of Muhammad, the, the so-called prophet, the false prophet of Islam. And, you know, he, mo he was the model for jihad in his own life. So again, I'll provide a link to my booklet and you can examine those uh, sources for yourself. Um, but how this relates to one of our news stories today. So it has uh, been confirmed by the Vatican that Pope Francis will be releasing a new encyclical on human fraternity, a term that we've become so familiar with since uh, February of 20, he came in on human fraternity when he visited Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates. Um, and Pope Francis explicitly agrees with the, the, the very erroneous assessment of Islam uh, presented to the world by President Bush in 2001. This is what Pope Francis says in his 2013 apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, quote, our respect for true followers of Islam should lead us to avoid hateful generalizations. For authentic Islam and the proper reading of the Quran are opposed to every form of violence. As, end quote, as you just heard, that's simply factually wrong. I mean, <laughs> Um, now, of course, as Brian just explained, we do want to avoid hateful generalizations. Neither Brian nor I, as he said, think that every Muslim is a vicious person. But the Pope is simply wrong in his understanding of Islam. That, I mean, there's no way to interpret that text you read according to what he says, the proper interpretation. I mean, the, what he's saying is give the words their opposite meaning. Well, that's, right. not, that's not a reasonable interpretation of words. Exactly. And so I think that it occurred to me when I was preparing for this show that at the root of this error, meaning the errors about Islam, seems to be the belief that all religions are inherently good and peaceful. I think that's probably what Pope Francis holds. Yes. That could be what President Bush holds. I don't know. Um, but that seems to be the clear implication in the document on human fraternity, the, the infamous passage which reads, quote, the pluralism and the diversity of religions, as well as color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom. So again, the pluralism and the diversity of religions are willed by God in his wisdom through which he created human beings. There's only one way to describe this phrase. It's, it's called religious indifferentism, uh, plain and simple. And my concern is that this same religious indifferentism will no doubt feature very prominently in the Pope's forthcoming encyclical on human fraternity, which uh, Vatican News reported earlier, it's either late last week or earlier this, I guess, over the weekend on Saturday, they released a report saying, 
in quotations, all brothers. That's going to be the title of it. Like yes. we are all brothers. Pope Francis to sign new encyclical on October 3rd. Wait for it in a CC. Mm. Wow. So what does that harken back to? Of course, the, the horrible pan-religious syncretistic ceremonies uh, and gatherings that were held in the CC beginning in the pontificate of John Paul II in 1986. And for those who are familiar with uh, the life and the biography of Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, that event had a direct impact on his decision to go through with the 1988 consecrations because he simply could not believe what he was witnessing, that a yes. pope would gather a group of uh, non-Christians, pagans, uh, nature worshipers, and all pray together. It just, it's beyond belief that that could even happen. Yes. So. The fruits uh, of Assisi are still with us today, right? Because again, and, and many in the church, many now who are decrying Pope Francis, you know, I'm happy to hear that they're doing that, but it covered up, explained away, put aside Assisi, and it's not a big deal. Um, but it, again, the Pope, it, it's sort of like Teddy Roosevelt said about the President of the United States, the bully pulpit, right? One of the great powers of a leader is to lead by example. So there's to teach, but also you do something, this is sending a message. This is good, you should do this. Right. And so the fruits of Assisi are with us. There are dioceses that do little mini Assisi type things in their dioceses. And I think it's a fair question to ask, would there ever have been the Pachamama ceremony without the precedent of Assisi? I think, I think that's a fair question to ask. There's a direct link there. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that brings us to our, our third, or our last part of this story is yet another example of that. Um, a report from LifeSite News about a, an ordination ceremony for a deacon in Australia, uh, which contained a, uh, well, it contained something. I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. So we'll just play a brief excerpt from this. Uh, what day, everybody? Um, this is Phil Butler. This is my lovely, beautiful wife, Bryony. We just call her B. Uh, we're Buddhawang people of the Ewa Nation. Uh, just a quick rundown on the Ewa Nation. It um, runs from around the Shilohan River in Nara all the way down to Malakuta and inland as far as um, Braidwood, Redbow, almost Kuma, just inside of um, Jindabyne and right down to the Snowy Mountains. Um, there are 13 mobs, tribes, and family groups that make up the Yuwa Nation, and we're, um, you know, one of the most northern ones. So um, I just want to say how honoured, not just for myself, but my family is to be part of this um, and to welcome Dustin into our community and to be here for this important day um, and this important moment. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a traditional song in language and then um, a traditional dance um, and it's all a welcome one so it's welcome Dustin yourselves and it's asking Mirada from the, um, the sea I mean sorry the air um, which is the white breasted sea eagle to uh, Maria the emu on the land and Maramara the fish on the ocean to look over us all and keep us all safe while we're in country. I think you get the idea. That's enough. His little speech, uh, because it's important. He, he again, it's not like oh, he didn't know what this guy was going to do. Uh, obviously, you know, they invited him. He clearly made that clear. He was invited, and he explains. He said, "I'm going to now pray to three pagan gods." The well, I can't remember what the with Maori or whatever the tribe sounded like a, a bird and yeah, bird, fish and fish and you know something in the air that they can protect us well they can't protect us they are creatures right? Right. creatures and so he said I'm about to pray to creatures to welcome Justin I guess this deacon who do we ordain uh and uh to pray for their protections we said I'm about like the Pacamama ceremony to pray to pagan gods in a catholic church and everyone just sits there enthralled um, now I'll tell you after, if you, I don't recommend it, watch more of the video. Uh, then they do some kind of a little bit of a mock, well, a sort of imitation of an asparagus rite. 
and the bishop is going to go around and sprinkle the church, and, which is a, a, actually a right done to purify. So the, just to be clear, the bishop of the diocese is witnessing this in the yes, church. Yes, he's sitting right behind. And wow. after this is over, they're going to do, again, this sort of watered-down, pun intended, I guess, version of an this. <laughs> And so he blesses, in a really simplistic blessing, some holy water. And again, he blessed churches with holy water as a sign of purifying them of impurities. And he then invites this uh, person, says, oh, you, you can hear him in the video. He says, oh, come along with me, and gets him to shake his stuff while the priest is blessing with holy water. So to actually have him take part in a Catholic rite of blessing with him on an equal footing with the bishop. It's just... This is the fruits of Assisi, which are... And we wonder why the church is in the mess that we're in. Then again, it it is the fruits of Assisi, which itself, as Archbishop Lefebvre pointed out, as Archbishop Vigano has pointed out, are the fruits of Digitatis Humani and the Second Vatican Council. Uh, So it is, all things are connected. Yes, everything is connected. The famous uh, slogan for the Amazon Synod. And speaking of some of those connections and how they play out in the political sphere, that brings us to our next story that Brian's going to introduce for us. Yeah, so it's the old story. I have good news and bad news. Which do you want first? Well, I'll give you the good news. So we have a sort of bad, good, bad. Uh, The good news is uh, looking at Poland, and we've reported on Poland before. It's a country with a very deep Catholic history uh, that's endured persecution, and uh, you know, the, the, the Polish people have seen to retain to a large extent, more than other European nations, a, a Catholic sense, at least, a Catholic culture, uh, and the bishops of Poland, although obviously you know, I, I, on the critique of Archbishop Vigano, they're, they're still supporting the great facade, have been much better than other bishops in at least defending some basic principles of the, the Catholic faith. And so we have another um, report from September 3rd, and we owe uh, this coming to our attention to uh, LifeSite News, uh, to Dorothy Cummings McLean, uh, who is reporting that the uh, conference of bishops in Poland wrote a pastoral paper, and I'm not quite sure, I couldn't figure out what, what that means, difference from a pastoral letter, if maybe she means the same thing, but a paper um, in, in, that deals with LGBT ideology. And uh, again, it's, it's very long and technical, uh, but it just based on the uh, overview of it, uh, it seems to be a very balanced Catholic position. One, saying that, you know, you have to respect individuals and, and not, you know, do injustices to them, but respecting individuals does not mean, in the words of the bishops, uncritically accepting their views. And that's a quote from the bishop's uh, letter. Mm -hmm. Uh, They wrote, on the contrary, it means their, their, the beliefs of people, careful analysis and verification in the light of objective truth about human sexuality and the principles of the common good. Uh, So again, this is the, the angle of the LGBT movement is, the, you have to respect me. Okay, we agree, you're a person. But the way you have to respect me is to agree with my unnatural beliefs. And that's the distinction. No, I don't have to accept those or say that they're acceptable. To recognize you are a human being, who, as a human being, deserves a certain level of respect. Um, the bishops say, now they head on go and talk about this ideology of the LGBTQ movement. The ideology of these movements and their demands are burdened with numerous errors harmful to the life of society. For example, the accusation of lacking tolerance behind which an ideology negating the difference and natural complementarity of men and women frequently hides. The appeal to nature mainly hides human biology, a cultural option, gender impulse, or psychosexual emotionalism. Um, and again, here they're really taking the mask off of this movement that's saying they hide behind this plea for tolerance uh, to force everyone to uh, accept themselves. Now, mm. the important recommendations of the bishops, which will send the, the radical liberals crazy, is that, you know, again, in a very pastoral way, they say, look, what these people are doing is wrong. But as bishops, we need to care for the people, right? The church never says, oh, they're just a sinner, right? This was the Pharisees. They're just a sinner. Forget about them, right? right. The church reaches out to sinners in, uh, as a loving mother to try to help them. And that's exactly what the bishops say. Um, they say, um, 
uh, call, they call for making available counseling and other services and help to people who wish, quote, to regain their sexual health and natural sexual orientation. Yes, because that's a key. That's a key concept to understand that everyone, by nature, is is oriented sexually to the opposite sex. No one is yes. naturally oriented to the same sex. Yes, just like everyone is naturally ordained to temperance, right? In a sense, but there are other people who have a weakness, so alcoholism or towards drugs, that is what what St. Thomas calls a a a. Uh, an error, you know, is an error something against nature. It's a defect, right? Since the fall, nature was created perfect, but nature can degenerate, right? That's how we have death, because nature degenerates. There are deficiencies in nature that have now woven themselves due to sin. And so, you know, we are naturally inclined towards temperance, but then we, in an unnatural way, people can have this temptation to the opposite of it, and it needs to be overcome, right? That's that God, with God's grace, anything can be over, everything can be overcome. And that's what's important, and this is what will enrage the liberals. They're saying, these people have a problem, right? And again, they're not, importantly, they're not measuring out, well, what's their subjective responsibility? Did they start to get into this, and that's how they develop the, the orientation, the temptation? Uh, that, that's a different issue. But objectively, these people are engaging in uh, intrinsically evil behavior that is hurting them and society, and we need... Just like somebody who's an alcoholic, we have to say they, we need to be willing to offer them help to overcome what they're doing. And again, we commend the Polish bishops for calling this what it is, saying what the real compassionate way to deal with it, the real compassionate way, it is not to say, like if you see someone on a bridge about to jump off, oh, well, let me identify with you and help you and help push you off the bridge. It's to say, wait, you're doing something that's not good for you. Let me reach out and pull you back and try to get you some help so you don't want to do this. And that's exactly what the Polish bishops uh, do uh, throughout their, their document. Now, again, I have not read the, it is very long as LifeSite said. I haven't scoured the whole document. There may be some things are not you know, perfect. I don't know. I'm not saying there are. But certainly overall, from what we can tell, uh, this is a group of bishops in the church saying, at least on this topic, the right things. In the spirit of John Sobieski, right? <laughs> yes, in the spirit of John Sobieski, very true. So now to the to the bad, uh, and this one uh, recorded reporting is also coming from uh, uh, LifeSite News, and uh, it reports on a case being filed in criminal court in Germany, in which uh, two priests allege, uh, according to the complaint, gruesome sexual abuse at the hands of a then senior official in the Vatican's Secretary of State, Monsignor Christoph Kuhn. Now, right. During uh, the, the pontificate of Benedict XVI is the really explosive part of this story, I think. Yes, that, well, during it and that there were uh, many high officials in the Vatican, you know, aware of this. Um, now, before we get into the details, I want to pause and reiterate Catholic Family News' position on all of these reports uh, of, of these kinds of things so far. We have always said, you know, we've always been cautious when someone is accused of something to give them, right, the, 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 the uh, benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt in the sense of not declaring them guilty until they are. Um, and so, again, they're, they're particularly when there's just pure ac accusations, to just not just assume an accusation is true. Here we do have a criminal case being filed, so presumably we will have some resolution of this, which may confirm. Uh, and again, but we are going to leave that to that criminal court. We're men are not judges and juries here. We don't certainly have the evidence. But we do, what we do know is this story confirms several other uh, significant bits of information that we do know. Um, and, and again, suggests that even if this is just another bit of evidence, and even if this particular case is or isn't true, that the Secretary of State, where this uh, Monsignor Kuhn worked, has been a particularly a significant part of the Vatican apparatus that has been dominated by what even Pope Benedict himself referred to as sort of the a lavender mafia, that mm -hmm. of prelates who are supportive, again, like we made with Islam, of the idea that homosexuality is normal and is not intrinsically evil, and advancing that. Not that it's even a positive good to be pursued. A positive good to the, to the yeah. church, yes, and to the world. Uh, and again, that, that, so that's interesting. Um, and also this, this bishop, was very, one of his duties in the Secretary of State was to- Mon, I think a Monsignor. Oh, sorry, Bishop, Monsignor. 
this Monsignor's duty was to uh, vet bishops, candidates for Germany. So it had a big impact upon the German episcopacy, the arrangements of his episcopal conference, and uh, its uh, vetting of bishops to be appointed, which is exactly what the report that, again, has never really been fully released from the Vatican, that, was, right. that this network, this Lavender Mafia did, is get people right. key positions that would promote these beliefs. Now, and Brian's referring to the huge report that was prepared by three cardinals uh, appointed by Pope Benedict shortly before, maybe like a year before uh, his resignation, he, uh, he commissioned this study, this report, and it was submitted to him, you know, several hundred pages. It's never been publicly revealed, but we do know that, that Benedict announced his resignation just a few months after receiving that massive report. Yes. Now, the other bit of information we have uh, does come from a source who so far has been incredibly reliable, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, uh, and he at this time, as we know, he was the apostolic delegate uh, to the United States, but he, he also was in the, uh, in the Secretary of State, was a position where he was responsible for looking into personnel of the Roman Curia who were under the subordinate of the uh, substitute of the Secretary of State. So he was involved in sort of looking into these uh, complaints against personnel in the Secretary of State where this Monsignor Kuhn, uh, and he, in his testimony, uh, that Archbishop Vigano uh, had released relative to this period of 1998 to 2009, which covers the period where this happened. And LifeSite confirmed they spoke to Archbishop Vigano at the time of their story and confirmed that their understanding was true. And he confirmed that he says, he states that he what is aware of precise information, and I'm quoting, regarding the harassment and all kinds of abuses committed by Monsieur Christophe Kuhn against uh, 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 Monsignor Florian Kaufhaus, who is the person bringing, uh, who's been involved in, in the case. Uh, he also notes that Kaufhaus informed various, he meaning Vigano, informed various officials uh, at, at the Vatican of the abuse, including a superior at the Secretary of State and also a bishop in charge of preparation of candidates for diplomatic service for uh, the Vatican. Uh, and also Vigano reported that ne then uh, Cardinal Pietro Parolin, who is now the Secretary of State, who has been promoted to that, was informed as well. And that Parolin at the time was the Under Secretary of State uh, for relations with the states of the Secretary of State. So mm -hmm. again, Vigano is, again, he's not coming directly on this criminal case, but saying he is aware, which we've known, that the Secretary of State at the time of John Paul II and Benedict XVI was sort of riddled, my words, but riddled with people whose personal life was you know, clearly holding to this belief that uh, unnatural sexual activities were perfectly normal and good. And I think including the, including the alleged victim, Monsignor Florian Kolfhaus, uh, yes. as if I understand correctly from the article, he is an active homosexual who has been laicized and, and actively lives that lifestyle. And again, we don't know the details, whether he was and or if this abuse, if it happened, is something that kind of drove him to that. Because that's many times what psychologists have told us, that people who do this, it's often because they were abused. And that's Correct. what drives it. So we don't, again, we, we're not judging any of the individuals here. But just a further confirmation from a reliable source, Archbishop Vigno, that under John Paul II and Benedict XVI, there, this, this is deep roots. And that the, at least Benedict XVI, he says, was made aware of this or should have been aware of it. And at the time, Benedict XVI was saying, we're dealing with all this, this was going on. Because this is right at the time that Benedict XVI was telling the world, the church is cleaning this up. Um, so without taking a position on the criminal case, because again, this, this as, as condemning as this is, you know, we, we have to be clear that we, we're not the judge. But it is very concerning. And one other fact, that, that is important for traditionalists to understand. The devil, you know, who is he gonna go after most? That, that, that people who are more traditional are not immune to the devil's infiltration and the infiltration of the church, right? The devil is gonna to want to infiltrate those who are, are closer to the truth as more dangerous. And so it's, we don't wanna have the attitude, oh, you know, well, they're, they're traditional priests or if they say good things, conservative things, well, they couldn't have done anything bad. 
So just because, and I think Brian is saying this because Monsignor Kuhn was kind yes. of known as a conservative. Exactly. He was reputed as a conservative in a certain sense, like he rebuked the German bishops for supporting abortion and issuing certificates to help people get abortions. And so some people in the Vatican saw him as a quote unquote conservative. And again, that's my, my point is that the life, the world is not all that simple, right? And just because someone espouses, you know, or did something good about uh, correcting the German bishops or taking it by extension, just because they join a traditional order or that we don't want to just, just like we don't want to jump to the conclusion if someone's accused and say, well, they did it. We don't want to say, oh, well, they're traditional or they said good things or they, they couldn't have done this, right? They, they, right. The, we know from sad examples that all the traditional orders, whoever they are, have been infiltrated and have had bad apples um, and had to be thrown out, which was the right answer. But we have to, you know, always be aware this is there and, and not, not, and to judge things by the facts and reality and not just make judgments one way or, or the other. So uh, not, not a good report. And, uh, but again, further confirming, the, which is the most important, again, these, salacious details of individual cases are not really what's worth talking about. That's just, that's dangerous. If you just get so involved of let's get into the nitty gritty of what this guy did, that's very dangerous spiritually because that's why the church has always condemned uh, the sin of detraction and the sin of scandal, which different from calumny. So calumny is when I tell a false thing and say you did something you didn't, but detraction and scandal, or when I talk about and get into the gruery details of what someone did for no no necessary reason because that's right. that's spiritually harmful it can you know bring about curiosity it can cause people to lose the faith so we don't want to get into these salacious details i mean there's some out there who sort of thrive on that it's bad reason we want to talk about it is that the principle is more important right that behind all of this abuse lurks the real fundamental problem a weakening of the church's voice the human element of the church's voice condemning the sin that cries out to heaven, the unnatural, these unnatural sins. When they want to talk about it, they want to cloak it in abuse, bad thing, child abuse, which again are all bad, but they don't want to talk about the root fundamental problem. And that's what Archbishop Vigano was talking about. The root fundamental problem is there are people who have infiltrated the church who think that the church's teaching is wrong and dissent from it and act and live and promote things contrary to it. And that's what's more important than the salacious details of this priest or that bishop or that Monsignor. Yes, very good. Thank you for that explanation, Brian. It's very helpful. Very good for us to be reminded of that. So as we, we're going to move back into the uh, the secular sphere now, and I want to just make a connection be between our next story and what we were talking about earlier as far as, um, you know, the true Muslims, what Pope Francis said and uh. claims in his uh, apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, that the authentic followers of Islam are are peaceful, whatever I'm paraphrasing. Um, we also have the same problem, obviously, in the church, where people call themselves Catholic and yet dissent from basic Catholic teaching. And perhaps no person embodies that problem better at this moment in American history than Mr. Joseph Biden. And he apparently now has an organization supporting him, a movement that... <laughs> uses what I call an oxymoronic title for themselves called Catholics for Biden. <laughs> now, the obvious problem with that title is Joe Biden, whether he thinks it or not, objectively speaking, supports things that are intrinsically evil, that are always and everywhere wrong. Two that come to mind immediately, of course, are abortion and the other thing that we were just discussing, sodomy. So the notion that you can have a group called Catholics for Biden is preposterous. It's not possible to, to be a faithful Catholic and to support a politician such as Joe Biden, who himself champions intrinsic evils. I don't know if Brian has anything he wants to add to that. No, and, and I think the important point is this is not just you know, saying or or you know, making this up, that there is direct evidence that this, you know, what he is advocating in his, the own words that he and his party have adopted is, is against uh, the fundamental, key fundamental teachings of the natural and divine law that the truth uh, requires. So again, we're doing, we can't look at all of it, but we're going to look at a little bit of evidence that proves that claim. 
Correct. So I, when I saw this story about Catholics for Biden, I had the idea now that the conventions are over, I wanted to take a look at the new platforms for each party. So I started with the Democratic National Platform, which was adopted uh, at their recent convention. And here are some quotes from the actual uh, Democratic National Platform. So they, these are the expectations. If you're a Democrat on the national stage or at really at any level of the party in this country, this is what you're expected to adhere to. And if you vote for them, this is what you're voting for. Correct. Yes. So here's, these are some direct quotes from the party platform. Quote, Democrats are committed to protecting and advancing reproductive health, rights, and justice. We believe unequivocally, like the majority of Americans, which they don't prove their claim yeah. there, that every woman should be able to, to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. We will repeal the Title X domestic gag rule and restore federal funding for Planned Parenthood, which provides vital preventative, uh, preventive and reproductive health care for millions of people. And, and reproductive health care is George Orwell, you know, double speak for abortion. Correct. Yes. So elsewhere in the health care doesn't result in killing people, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Elsewhere in the platform, it says, we will repeal the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment, of course, is to prohibit federal funds from going to paying for abortions. They want to repeal that so that federal tax dollars are going to pay for abortions. And they want to, quote, protect and codify the right to reproductive freedom. It also says, quote, Democrats oppose restrictions on medication abortion care. So in other words, abortifacient drugs. If you want a very graphic but accurate portrayal of what that looks like, you can watch Abby Johnson's movie, Unplanned. There's a very powerful scene in the movie. You get to see what a chemical abortion actually looks like and feels like for the woman. It's terrible. Lastly, uh, our, on this issue, the so-called LGBT issue, the, the Democratic platform says, quote, Democrats applaud this year's U.S. Supreme Court decision that made clear that employment discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity violates the law. Viewers might recall that we discussed that, I think it was back in June, the Bostock versus Clayton County case, by which the Supreme Court essentially redefines uh, the, the terms gender and mm -hmm. pretends that a man can be a woman and vice versa. Um, and interestingly, uh, the last quote I will, I'll share from the Democratic National Platform has to do with religion. So because Biden is pushed, Biden and Harris are pushing very hard specifically to garner the Catholic vote. We've reported on this in past uh, episodes of this show where there, you know, we showed the video clip of Biden at the Vatican with Pope Francis and, and supposedly praising the nuns that he claims to respect so much all the while persecuting them. <laughs> Um, this is what the DNC platform has to say about religion. Quote, Democrats celebrate America's history of religious pluralism and tolerance. Well, that sounds a lot like indifferentism to me. And, quote, recognize the countless acts of service of our faith communities, as well as the paramount importance of maintaining the separation between church and state enshrined in our Constitution which is debatable as to whether that's actually enshrined in the Constitution. The other quote that stuck out to me from this section of the platform says, quote, we condemn the decades-long campaign to demonize and dehumanize the Muslim faith community, which has led to increased rates of violence and discrimination targeting American Muslims or those perceived to be Muslim, end quote. So a very impassioned defense of Muslims, and I think by extension, Islam itself, very telling that that's in the Democratic National Platform. Oh, I think, sorry, we had just a little bit of a delay there. And by, I guess by contrast, just to show, uh, just to put these in contrast, we're gonna read a couple uh, 
from the Republican uh, platform. Now, in case you weren't aware, the Republicans didn't adopt a new platform in 2020. I think it's an interesting move to sort of say, we haven't changed anything since Donald Trump run in 2016. So they just reaffirmed or sort of brought, you know, brought and said, we reaffirm everything you said in 2016. So we're going to read, I'm going to read now a few quotes from uh, the 2016 Republican national platform, which is now the 2020 platform. Uh, again, not perfect. They're not a Catholic organization, but uh, certainly very uh, big contrast. So they say um, that God bestows certain inalienable rights on every individual, thus producing human equality. So again, at least acknowledging God and his creation as the source of human equality. The government exists first and foremost to protect those inalienable rights. The man-made laws must be consistent with God-given natural rights. There is a moral law recognized as the law of nature and nature's God. I think those are huge points that they're recognizing explicitly the predominance of the natural law, the preeminence, yes. I should say. And again, this, this is not perfect. We know the things they're referring to in the Constitution, the Declaration of, of uh, Independence, as Chris Ferrara has pointed out, are, are, are ambiguous ideas that are tainted with non-Catholic liberal or anti-Catholic liberalism. However, what's important uh, is not that we're saying, well, okay, everything about America's founding is, which it isn't, but that at least what they're saying is recognizing on the natural level. So the natural, the natural law, which is St. Paul's has written on the heart, everybody, even the pagans can know about this and how are obliged to obey it, that this platform is at least recognizing the existence of this natural moral law. Now, as the church has always taught, that natural level is not enough and you need the church to perfect that. But Again, it's a choice between a party that is recognizing the natural law, as you heard in those quotes, and that it comes from God, right? That it is God-given. Uh, right. uh, and they do explicitly phrase. support, as they say, that, that we support the public display of the Ten Commandments. Yes, which are, as St. Thomas tells us, the embodiment of the natural law revealed to us through divine law. So again, it's a choice between a party that says, again, not Catholic, but we support the Ten Commandments, we believe in God, we believe God made a moral law, and a party that says the opposite, right? That, that is saying the opposite of that, that is putting forward positions against the, the natural law. Well, let's get a little more specific. So again, one specific thing, support the display of the Ten Commandments, that those should be allowed up. Uh, also, they say, traditional marriage and family based on marriage between one man and one woman is the foundation for a free society and has for millennia been entrusted with rearing children and instilling cultural values. We condemn the Supreme Court's ruling in the United States v. Windsor, which wrongly removed the ability of Congress to define marriage policy in federal law. We also condemn the Supreme Court's lawless ruling, that phrase lawless ruling is really important, in Oberfell v. Hodges, which in the words of late Justice Antonin Scalia was a judicial push full of silly extravagances. That phrase is really critical, is a lawless ruling, because traditional Catholic moral teaching on natural law is if a legal per a person in power, a Supreme Court judge, enacts or makes a decision or a law that is contrary to natural law, it is a lawless ruling, a lawless law. St. Thomas calls it an illegal law. Is his right. And so again, they're acknowledging, yeah, these things are the Supreme Court, but they are not valid laws. They're lawless. They are not, they are not acceptable. And we are going to work to get rid of them. Whereas the Democrats are affirming lawless decisions that, that uh, are not in connected reality. They're they're essentially, the Democrats are essentially positivists that if just because a, a lawful authority says something, it's automatically right and binding. Yes. yes. And in contrast to the gushing support with your tax dollars for Planned Parenthood and reproductive health, reproductive death, uh, the Republican says, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life, which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment protections apply to children before birth. We oppose the use of public funds to perform or promote abortion, to fund organizations like Planned Parenthood, so long as they provide or refer for elective abortions or sell fetal body parts rather than provide health care. Ah, it's a drawn wow. distinction 
uh, we made. So again, we just took out some snippets, but th there's enough to show you. And again, you can't just say it is a dereliction of your duty to work for the common good. You say, like, oh, I like Joe Biden. He's a nice guy. He seems harmless. You, when you vote for someone, you are voting right, for, again, not necessarily for each and every little individual thing they say they're going to do, but the overall package of what they're doing has a character to it. And you are voting and endorsing all, all of these things that we read because they are all consistently hung together, right, uh, as a philosophy. So again, it doesn't mean if you've got a very detailed policy position, okay, you might say, look, ah, I don't agree with that exactly. But when there's a whole theme to what he's doing, you vote for the person, you are a, a, agreeing to that whole theme. And, and the contrast in the conventions that we talked about couldn't be clearer. The written word, again, these examples show, couldn't be clearer. So no Catholic can join the oxymoron of Catholics for Biden. Right. And as a, as a rather courageous priest from the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, proclaimed, I think, in a video either last week or the week before, I forget when exactly, his name oh. is Father James Altman, um, simply put, you cannot be a Catholic and a Democrat. And what he means by that is you cannot be a, you cannot claim the name Catholic and vote for a candidate who actively promotes intrinsic evils. You simply cannot because yes. that's active participation. That's formal cooperation in the intrinsic evil. Yes. And again, the distinction is you, you can support a candidate who's not perfect, right? Who's okay. Maybe there's things that are not the best thing or not of uh, the fullest solution to a problem, you certainly can say, well, look, I still support the, the two steps they're going to take forward, uh, even if I think they should take three steps. But the difference between that, that is a, okay, they may not do the best good they can do, but they're not directly promoting intrinsic evil when it's a choice between something that is on its face. No way to say, you know, this is advancing good, just not enough good. This is just advancing pure evil. Uh, very, very different. Yes. We're, we've got a full list of stories today. Uh, I think we're just going to end uh, by playing a little video clip for you as maybe a bit of inspiration uh, in light of some of the bad news we had. Um, but earlier this week, LifeSite News posted a, the beginning of a 54-day novena of Rosary right. Novena, Rosary Crusade. It was started on Tuesday, the Feast of Our Lady's Nativity, September Our Lady's 8th. Nativity, yes. Uh, called for by Archbishop Vigano to pray specifically for this election in America, which as we and, and others have said is not just another election, is a fundamental turning point. Uh, and to launch this effort, which we encourage people like to, to, to join, offer your rosaries for this, uh, they held a little sort of virtual rosary uh, where uh, Archbishop Vigano led the rosary himself and gave a little uh, talk, a little conference at the beginning kind of explaining uh, it, it's a really good conference. I recommend listening to it. You can find it on LifeSite News. Um, I'll include a link to it in the description to this video. Yes, as, as we do. Uh, but particularly for those many of who've read Archbishop Vigano's writings, uh, it's been rare in this period of history to hear his voice, actually, rather than words. Um, and so in addition to what he says, it may just is a nice treat for us to hear the words of this very zealous who is uh, spoken out so clearly both in church, matters of church uh, and state. So we're not going to play all of his remarks. They're, they're a bit too uh, long, but we'll just give you a little flavor uh, for what he says. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, anyone who believes we can merit the glory of paradise by living a mediocre life knows that he is on the wrong tack. Renium celorum vimpatitur, el violenti rapiuntilud. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. In these strong words of the gospel, we understand that only the violent can in some way conquer the justice of God, and obtain its reward thanks to his infinite mercy. A violence, a force that is certainly not that of the world, but that consists above all in recognizing our own unworthiness, 
as mortal creature before the uncreated and eternal being. Uh, again, like we've recommended his prayer for the United States of America, which we'll say shortly, uh, we recommend joining this rosary to pray for our, our country. Uh, again, it's, it's important for the church. We know the ultimate battle is for the soul of the church, right, is to reform the church. But we know that the church is always, it's important, the disposition of civil society. When civil society is more ordered and gives more freedom to the church, more space for her to Christianize, that's when that happens, right? That's in the church. So the church grew very, you know, steadily under persecution, and the, the, the martyrs were the seeds, but the explosion of Christendom, the explosion, the mass conversions only come after the Roman Empire stopped persecuting and was more disposed uh, to, to the church and to letting her publicly pursue her mission. And so, you know, we can't just say, well, we just care about the church. Who cares what happens to America? We have to care about the civil order in our country because it will affect the, the reach of the church to bring uh, the, the call to conversion. Absolutely. So on that note, we will uh, close up this broadcast today by praying the prayer written by His Excellency Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano for a resurgence of Christianity in America and specifically the re-election of President Donald Trump. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Almighty and eternal God, King of kings and Lord of lords, Graciously turn your gaze to us who invoke you with confidence. Bless us, citizens of the United States of America. Grant peace and prosperity to our nation. Illuminate those who govern us so that they may commit themselves to the common good in respect for your holy law. Protect those who, defending the inviolable principles of the natural law and your commandments, must face the repeated assaults of the enemy of the human race. Keep in the hearts of your children courage for the truth, love for virtue, and perseverance in the midst of trials. Make our families grow in the example that our Lord has given us, together with his most holy mother and Saint Joseph in the home of Nazareth. Give to our fathers and mothers the gift of strength to educate wisely the children with which you have blessed them. Give courage to those who, in spiritual combat, fight the good fight as soldiers of Christ against the furious forces of the children of darkness. Keep each one of us, O Lord, in your most sacred heart, and above all him whom your providence has placed at the head of our nation. Bless the President of the United States of America, so that, aware of his responsibility and his duties, he may be a knight of justice, a defender of the oppressed, a firm bulwark against your enemies, and a proud supporter of the children of light. Place the United States of America and the whole world under the mantle of the Queen of Victories, our unconquered leader in battle, the Immaculate Conception. It is thanks to her and through your mercy that the hymn of praise rises to you, O Lord, from the children whom you have redeemed in the most precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, that's it for this week, and uh, continue to, to watch our YouTube channel. Please follow the channel. Uh, also remember all of the videos we release, we now release in podcast form as well. So you can download them and listen to a podcast instead of watching the, the video. Uh, so please like, share our podcast and or videos, whichever format you prefer to your friends, family, acquaintances, uh, and anyone else you think may, may benefit from, from the content. Please check our website regularly. We do release some of our written contact through, con, uh, tent through the website. Coming up this weekend, we're going to release a dynamite article by Christopher Ferrara. Yes. And, uh, called Mask Mania. Uh, <laughs> that's about. And a really, really good article. And uh, if you enjoy all this free content that we make available as part of our apostolate, please consider subscribing to Catholic Family News. You can see how to subscribe from our website. Still, as of now, because we're catching up on all the paper subscriptions, we're only selling electronic-only edition, meaning you can access it immediately two minutes after you buy it. Uh, the current and back issues for several years 
and read them on a phone, tablet, or computer. If you do want to get a paper subscription, those do cost more, and we were hoping to get the, our administrative office sorted out soon to be able to keep uh, the return to being able to sell those. But uh, we've had extreme restrictions placed on us by government authorities in Canada that have really limited our ability to operate. Um, and again, if you really like it, in addition to subscribing, you certainly can donate on our website uh, to support our free content. If you want to make a donation to support the free content, that we'd always be welcomed. Yes, indeed. Well, I, I hope everyone has a blessed weekend and a happy feast of the most holy name of Mary tomorrow. And may Our Lady of Fatima in particular, under that title, pray for us in these times. Yes, we'll see you next week. Ich bin